hope you're all doing well. As we are winding down 2019, welcome back. Welcome to Mike Adelic. I'm Mike Brancatelli. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out the show if you're new. Thanks for listening. This is going to be a great listen. I'm super excited uh, for you because I was super excited to talk to this person and it was a phenomenal conversation. Sophia Rockland is the guest. We talked about all the amazing work that she's doing. She is uh, currently working at the Chaikuni Institute in Iquitos, Peru, in conjunction with the Temple of the Way of Light, a place that is so near and dear to my heart, as you've heard me talk about the Temple of the Way of Light, the Ayahuasca Retreat Center in Peru. Amazing place, amazing healers, amazing facilitators, and amazing experience to be down there to be in the jungle to be with the plants to be with life and all the beings that inhabit the rainforest it is uh truly a place that is very special to me so uh, it was such a joy to talk with sophia who is the co-author of when plants dream phenomenal book about ayahuasca amazonian shamanism and the global psychedelic renaissance and in the book it's exploring everything about this current new cultural emergence of ayahuasca onto the global scene. The, the economic, the social, the political, the cultural, environmental impact that ayahuasca is having on our world. And they go into the history of ayahuasca and where it's found, its origins, its practices, uh, both in the Amazon and in our Western culture and how our Western uh, context processes these uh, indigenous rituals and ceremonies and practices and they go into the science and the research of it all. It's really a, such a comprehensive book. It's such a good read, super engaging. Please check it out. It's, it's really fantastic. When Plants Dream is uh, looking at the science and the expanding culture of ayahuasca from the historical use to now to the West to our time and um, I just, I, I can't uh, recommend enough. It's one of those books where I think I'll probably read it again, uh, maybe six months from now or something and probably pick up some, some more from it. But uh, really uh, such a, a beautiful looking book and um, just really, like I said, engaging and informative, just like hopefully this conversation will be for you because it was for me. And uh, it's one of those things where uh, I think that, you know, when we're podcasting, that usually what I do, I uh, just give you a little inside scoop as to how the, the podcasting goes down for me is uh, I'm interested in talking with someone. If they've wrote a book or they have some kind of work, I'll check it out. I'll read it. I'll look into it. And, uh, you know, I don't plan any questions. I don't have any agenda other than just uh, connect with them and see where the conversation goes. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes I'm like, oh, damn, I wish I asked this or I wish I said that. But the good thing about it is we could always have that person back on the show, too. And I would like to because I think Sophia and I have a lot in common and a similar kind of upbringing and, and uh, interest in ex explorations of consciousness and reality and love for plants and the joy of life and uh, all of that good, good stuff. You know, I think that... Um, that has been my perspective for as long as I could remember. Uh, just life should life is meant to be experienced with joy and with ease. 
you know, oftentimes we find ourselves maybe in situations where we're getting too serious and we're getting boxed into all this, all these things that we have to do and be and say and think and whatever it is, it's these pressures that can mount on us. And I think kind of before I was uh, experimenting with psychedelics and starting to incorporate more spiritual practices into my, into my life, like meditation, just being healthier and more of a conscious person. Uh, I felt like, man, I feel like I'm kind of trapped in some kind of weird prison. Like this is weird. You know, I feel like there's a way out. And then one day LSD said, yeah, man, you're right. Let's just like clean this windshield for you a little bit so you could see a little clearer and realize that, uh, that you're right. That, you know, that this is a, a beauty and a joy to be a part of. And I try and every day uh, put that perspective into existence and just take things lightly, take things lightly, as, as lightly as I can. Um, and, you know, someone who's been a really great inspiration and, and hero of mine who recently passed away, Ram Das, the um, amazing and prolific pioneer of uh, the psychedelic movement in America in the 1960s when he was Richard Alpert professor of psychology at Harvard, who then went on to become Ram Dass by venturing over to India, coming back to the States, writing Be Here Now, and inspiring millions of people with his love and his joy and his wisdom. So, RIP to the great Ram Dass. He will live on as he has. Uh, many of the talks that I listen to uh, by Ram Dass and the books that I've read are older ones. And he passed away, I think he was 88. Uh, so all of, uh, all of his work is available, thankfully, uh, to our wonderful human invention here called the internet. And uh, yeah, I could go on and on about, uh, about Ram Dass, but uh, if you are in a period where you feel stuck or um, you know, the weight of things are getting to you a little bit too much, check out, check out Ram Dass. Go check out, he's got a, there's a podcast called Ram Dass Here and Now. He has so many talks on YouTube. He's got so many books. Uh, what was the one that I, I read recently? Experiments in Truth. So good. And actually, I, I listened to that on audiobook because if Ram Das is giving a lecture, giving a talk, I want to hear it from him. I want to hear it from his voice. And he is just, um, just, just amazing. I mean, I wish I had more of a vo vocabulary to describe how incredible uh, this being is and the impact that he's had. But uh, I'll save that for another podcast. I think I'll do a solo podcast probably, uh, you know, sometime early in, in January uh, where I sort of talk a little bit more about uh, my personal life and some of the things that I went through in 2019. Uh, if you guys want to hear that, if you don't want to hear if like, you don't want to hear it, yeah, message me, be like, dude, we don't need that. But if you want to hear that, I'm going to do it anyway. So uh, let me know. You know what to do if you love the show. Do things that, you know, do the things that you do when you like things. Uh, you like things in, on the internet, what do you do? I don't know, share it, like it, subscribe, download it, tell people about it, share it, 
uh, all that good stuff. If you want to uh, really help out the show, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you to all the people that do that. It means so much to me. And thank you, big shout out to all of my newest patrons. Uh, I think I got about $35 in donations on Patreon. A couple PayPal payments came in. So thank you for supporting the show. It means uh, the world to me as well because I'm, it's just me. I'm just creating this. And uh, there's a lot of other podcasts that you could listen to and support. And you choose to do this. Uh, you choose to support this one. And that's, that's um, uh, just just blows me away every time. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little tired just from, I don't know, holiday excursions and extravaganzas and all kinds of things. So I'm going to keep this intro pretty much. That's it. Uh, if you want to see, uh, if you want access to CBD stuff, if you want to get CBD things, Hemp Bombs is a sponsor of the show. Check them out. Go to hempbombs.com and they ship everywhere in the United States. Hemp derived CBD. They have gummies, tinctures, all kinds of stuff, stuff for dogs. I don't know, maybe cats. Who knows? I haven't been on their website in a while, but they got good stuff. So uh, if, you know, maybe, maybe you like it, maybe you don't, maybe it's not good. I don't know, but maybe you're interested in CBD and you're just like, Hey, let me get 15% off. Well, Mike 15, that's the code. Go to hempbombs.com, Mike 15, put that in there and you'll get 15% off. Give it a try, give it a whirl, give it a spin, see if it works for you. I, who the hell knows what works for everybody. We're all different, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, you could support the show by going to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. Or if you're on Patreon, you just search Mike Adelic. Uh, you can find me. Donate as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. Uh, uh, helps, and um, that's pretty much it. So, without further ado, let's get into this amazing conversation with the wonderful, multi-talented. Uh, oh, I should mention before I uh, start saying that Sophia not only is uh, going on tour giving uh, talks for uh, When Plants Dream, uh, her her book. When Plants Dream, um, she is also on tour with comedian Shane Moss, past guest of this show. Hope to get him on again, too, soon. Uh, and they are doing a tour called Head Talks. And you can find out all about that stuff in the links that I put in the show notes description. Click on it. Check it out. If you're in a town or a city where they're doing the Head Talks tour, stand-up science and ayahuasca uh, information and all kinds of things like that, it's... Uh, um, yeah, that'd be really cool to, to go and, and check those, check that out. So, uh, yeah, head talks, uh, on tour, when plants dream, uh, Sophia, amazing, multi-talented, great conversation. Me need a nap. You enjoy this podcast without further ado. Sophia Rockland, everyone. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Is Information is power, but we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. The interchange of mind control, commit the revolution. 
Yeah, so you grew up in New York City. When did you start getting involved with psychedelics? Like, when did you start to take an interest in it? Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I started out with psychedelics um, in like mid high school at a particularly, I would say, angsty time in my development. I was like, I was convinced that school was a jail and I needed to get out of there. And it was like the concept of waking up and being in the same class every morning just really didn't. I'm not somebody, I'm not a routine kind of person. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, it's enough to squish a little jelly brain into a square <laughs> um but you know i mean i actually visited my high school recently and i did like a talk there and it was very peaceful to like go back there and, and make peace with my, my people my poor teachers um but yeah so i was in high school and it was around the same time actually that i was i grew up like um doing acting so film and tv and voiceover kind of things and i i loved it a lot um I did not like the industry. So I found myself as like a young little lady um, already in a career that didn't feel right, that didn't feel like her own. But I loved that, you know, process of personal transformation and seeing things from new dimensions and aspects. So I pretty naturally gravitated towards psychedelics. As soon as I heard about them, I was like, oh, baby, this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> were were yeah. your parents in the arts? Uh, nope. Not at all. No, uh, my 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 mother's an accountant, and then my dad was in um, like lighting engineering kind of stuff. So not. So you you expressed an interest for it, and they were like, "Go get it." Well, no, not at all. I mean, I think that it. I, now we have a very peaceful relationship, but it was definitely a lot of confusion and uncertainty, and probably concern for me, you know, because I was not doing what. Um, most of my peers were doing, you know. I oh, okay. Taking, a, I, I didn't even know. I didn't. It, it, you couldn't even call it a path. But I was upset with life. I was, um, you know. I mean, I was like a kid. I was lucky to go to therapy, but I still went. To yeah. Therapy and um, and I was really confused about like the world that I was being um, led into. You know. Where do you think that comes from? I, I'm right there with you. You know, I felt the same way. I'm like, why? why this yeah um yeah it's i mean it's kind of a weird question i guess but i think any inkling i mean i all i i was just thinking the other night i had a dream like i woke up remembering there were these two huge bulls you know like bulls like cow bulls they were so big and beautiful and they had these soft flat noses and they were like majestic, beautiful creatures. And I was in an arena, like a bullfighting arena. And suddenly I saw all of these little like men, you know, with little funny hats on, just going and prodding the bulls. And I just remember in my body in that dream being like, why is culture like this? You know, why is it this? Like, why, if it could be utopia, why is it that? And I don't know. I mean, I guess life, we just crystallize, you know, it's very much like a, like a jello, like we're like, consciousness jello and then the, the longer it's left out to oxidize or be out in the air mm. the stiffer it gets i guess and that's like my metaphysical idea of it anyway you <laughs> yeah what do i think i don't have a i certainly don't have the answer but that's my that's my that's my idea anyway yeah well that's a very interesting dream i mean yeah why is it why is it like this i mean my 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 theory is um that uh i guess that we've we've kind of forgotten 
how to be with each other without demanding mm-hmm. and um, forcing each other to conform to to ways that uh, others want things to be. You know, I think that our connection with the sacred, with the unknown, with the mystery has been lost for many people. And so that we've created these prisons for ourselves. And yeah, that's my. Yeah. yeah. And, and conformity, I guess it, my sense is that it, like you're, it's like, in, it's, um it's an impulse for safety, you know? Yeah. And it comes from a good place. Like with the medicine, I've been showed this many times with ayahuasca. It's like all of your fears, all of these things that actually hold you down, like they had, they came from a good place. Like it came as a defense. It came as a protective mechanism. So I do think that it's just, and, and our culture specifically is obsessed with safety. Like at some, I would like to write a book about it one day, you know, just all of the tools and the technology and the, you know, the, the hazard tape and the safety rules and regulations. Yeah. No peanuts around the kids. Yeah, right. No peanuts. I mean, I, I mean, you know, but you get, you get my gist, you know, and, and that's why, yeah, that's, that's are you allergic to peanuts? I'm not allergic to peanuts. I am however allergic to large quantities of almonds. So. Oh, okay. Well, sorry to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally, I get what you're saying. Yeah, this, this like a nanny state kind of thing that totally. we got going yeah, on here. Right. And oh my god, if you're ever like in the in the under the underground in London, every command is barking at you, like please do this, please do that. It's absolutely nannying us around, you know. And it comes from a good place, but it's just like, right? What are we losing in that? That's like the you know you're getting. What does it cost? Yeah. Chips. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a vision once that uh, like I was like thinking about all this, the, the spying and the kind of invasion of privacy and the control and all this kind of stuff. And I just had this like thing of of people just like looking at other people and they were looking at other people and everybody's looking at each other. And then I'm like, wait a second, we're all one. We're just doing this to ourselves. What are we doing? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm spying on myself as I take a shower. I'm like, what is he doing in there? It's like, why am I? Why are we looking? What are we looking for? What are we trying to find? You know, <laughs> it's like you can look, bro, but <laughs> you can also look within. Yeah. True, I love that. I love that. The million eyes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of like visions and dreams, first of all, the book is excellent. Thank you for writing at and contributing to the ayahuasca conversation, the plant conversation. I've had Daniel on the show a couple times as well. And, uh, and we've, we, we didn't talk about when plants dream. So that's what I want to talk a little bit about you. So what, Sophia, what are plants dreaming? What are their, what are their dreams? Oh boy. Well, you read the book. We actually don't talk too much about plants dreaming themselves. Yeah, I know. Uh, (laughs) But I think for, for me anyway, the title has different like meanings depending on where I'm at, but more than anything, it's a provocation, right? It's like a, it's it's a it's a seductive question, and what's implied in that is whether whether or not do, if plants have their own inner life or there's some sort of a imaginary realm or a realm of you know will or agency that exists in them that we just don't see and we don't know how to see. Um, and it is through these sort of dream oneric realms through working with psychoactive plants and specifically ayahuasca and dieting with amazonian plants that we do receive many messages in dream states because our you know defenses are a little bit um more 
uh, porous or malleable or something like that. And so it's through the dream realm that the plants can dream through us. If you want to give plants that much agency, but you know, these days I'm a bit more on the materialist spectrum of things, but I do think it's a, it's a seductive idea to throw out there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for playing with that question the way that I, you know, proposed it. So yeah, (laughs) I, I, (laughs) no, it's, it's great. And you go through like, you know, the, 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 the history. And actually that was one of the points in the book where I, I was like, Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really realize, uh, about the, the history. I don't know if you want to maybe like touch on a little bit of some things that you, you found out with that, because I think the, the, our Western concept of this, uh, and you, you know, explain, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Denver and, and Boulder and there's a lot of <clears throat> the mother and, you know, this, yeah. These the, the, our Western mind has kind of put things onto this process, and so, mm-hmm. but there's a little, there's a little bit more to it than what we're giving it. Yeah, so I mean, in the book we were writing, you know, from we were drawing upon a lot of existing anthropological fieldwork and research, um, some of which is less studied, which is very interesting because I think in the book what we were trying to do was marry together the you know, the academic research together with the anecdotal cultural things together with the indigenous perspectives. So see, you know, what's actually in the middle of those three kind of, you know, places. Um, And yeah, I mean, I guess, unlike what the media or what we may see at like, ecstatic dance party conversations or whatever, it's Ayahuasca is actually um, a very ancient practice, but it's also constantly been in evolution. It's constantly been changing. Yeah. Um, And there's a sort of a very easy or default mode that Westerners tend to slip into when it comes to looking at indigenous communities, which is thinking, oh, you know, they live in this, uh, we call it a prelapsarian. So like a pre, like a pre-fall state, right? When it's like this jungle Eden where people live in harmony with their nature and, so on and everything is perfect but um it it pre- it presents a very static image of indigenous communities when in reality you know if you look at even the work of Graham Hancock or just talk to communities there they'll tell you that there's actually been hundreds if not thousands of years of very intentional cultivation and and relationship with the land that has shaped the amazon to be what it is today um and that's not you know that's not excluding ayahuasca so you know, if you say people, you read it in, in The Cosmic Serpent, even Narby's book, you know, mm-hmm. I was used for 5,000 years. Um, there's a there's an there's an ethnomusicologist named Brebeck de Mori, and he wrote this paper that really blew my mind, which was studying the the transmigration of, of song um, within the Amazon basin related to ayahuasca. So what he would do, if I'm correct, is he would be interviewing different healers or shamans throughout the region and saying, hey, where did you learn this song from? Or who was your teacher? And what he actually ended up doing was drawing a pretty, um, you know, logical map of what could be the migration of that first ayahuasca recipe down south. Um, So, you know, within his uh investigative framework he he posits that it was the tucano tribes of the of the ecuadorian amazon like the sequoia people that i've worked with and daniel has also worked with who may have been the sort of the original founders of ayahuasca um again it's impossible Mm. to say and 
right because it's all oral 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 histories oral cultures so there's no definitive framework as we have here even though history is written you know written by the by the victors usually so we can never be too sure but um but yeah and again i mean also saying that i realize that that could actually be very offensive for some communities who say this is our medicine this is our ancestors and we received it through our gods or through our relationship to plants so who knows? The bottom line is a big who knows. But when it comes to the complexity of ayahuasca, it, ha it has helped me at least understand that there's nothing new about ayahuasca traveling. You know, it's just ayahuasca traveling around the world. Um, and it's probably commodification and monetization and it's widespread popularity. And then finally, it's extraction from a ritual framework. So those are like the major things that are truly changing about it i think yeah and i think that um right totally and and we're we're I've, i'm going down to peru you're going down to peru we're flying down there we're taking part in ceremonies and rituals that are not of our own but this kind of thing is has been going on for a while it's just now it's happening around the globe everywhere people from all over are doing it and going and you know there's questions and concerns about uh, the sustainability of this and reciprocity with the land and the environment. And I know you're working uh, at the Chaikuni Institute. Um, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there in conjunction with the temple and, and uh, with the land and, and ayahuasca as well. Yeah. Yeah. So right now I work with the Chaikuni Institute, which is a, it's a small little intercultural nonprofit that works very closely with the Temple of the Way of Light. They're kind of sister organization. Um, and so Chaikuni focuses on three areas, intercultural education, human and nature rights, and then the area that I mostly focus on, which is permaculture, so permanent agriculture. It's probably quite familiar to your listeners. But um, mm -hmm. And basically, you know, I mean, I guess I'll, uh, how do I say, insert myself into it to explain why I work there. You know, I, I worked with the medicine for 10, nine, nine-ish years. Um, and I always had a vision of our personal healing having a, an effect on the earth as well, you know, and it didn't just stop with us. And I, I noticed that there was a bit of, um, with all due respect, a kind of a navel gazing tendency of the new age community. You know, my healing begins and ends with me. Um, and I and I dearly, dearly hoped and prayed that it would go beyond that. So I had a vision very early on that we would actually be, you know, giving a portion of maybe pro proceeds, profits from ayahuasca ceremonies to reforestation projects or just something that would actually connect us. Um, and then it was when I was working with the Sequoia in the Ecuadorian Amazon that I noticed that um, it really is, I mean, not to be an alarmist, but it is really a question of time for some of these communities, you know, because they're on the last... Um, there are only really a few people within their communities who still practice those traditions. So the, the Shipibo, you know, who are in the Peruvian Amazon are much more prolific in their, in their medicinal practices and they, their, their cultural integrity is much more intact. But with the Sequoia, it's like, it felt kind of like the end in many ways. And so from that point on, I said, I've received so much in my life from these traditions. They've really given me my entire framework of looking at the world and being, and I owe a debt to it. Um, so how do we create a full circle? Um, and with that, I felt very attracted to the temple and 
Chaikuni and the framework that they're really building out there, you know, because the temple is a pretty large operation in the Amazon and it's a very, it's a pioneering endeavor, which works very closely with indigenous communities, the Shipibo um, and local mestizo communities, mixed race communities. And, um, and I just see it really as an immense opportunity, you know, to, to change the framework and the conversation around ayahuasca. So when we see these new startups and these entrepreneurs doing these well-intentioned programs, we also say, hey, here's how you can actually give back to the forest. Um, and so the main project that I'm helping to coordinate now is a, actually ayahuasca growing project. And it's a bit more, it's more multidimensional than that, but that's probably like the juicy, interesting part. Um, but yeah, we're looking at alternatives to slash and burn agriculture. So very basically, you know, I think there are 2.2 billion people on earth who uh, are, you know, parts of small holding farm families. And what they do is they intentionally burn land to make space for crops. It's just a fast, easy way to of land management. Right. But that's no longer sustainable. You know, as our population increases, as corporate enclosures increase, uh, we see that there's a dire need to actually innovate or look back into our cultural memories and see how are we working with the land in the past in a way that's more holistic and regenerative. Um, and so that's the main project that the Chaikumi Institute is working on now. It's called Chakras Integrales, which just means like a holistic farm plot. Um, so we're designing pieces of land together with communities and they're small, you know, the communities sign up for it. And basically, instead of burning, we say, look, here's a 10 year plan and here's how you can be making as much money as you were every year, but with a really diverse Oper, uh, you know, option of crops, um, which in the end actually includes ayahuasca. And so that's the that's the long term vision, you know, is that we are giving what we receive or we, rather, yeah, we're, we're completing the circle um, and we're not seeing ayahuasca sustainability issues anymore like we do today. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you, do you find any resistance to that when you're reaching out to local communities? I mean, because there is this kind of like economic pressure that comes with it. Uh, you know, people are looking to just take care of their families and things like that. But then when you present them with this other model and introduce the reciprocity and taking care of the environment and the land, and it's a longer term thing, but it, it's worth it. Like people seem pretty receptive to that down there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's only resistance when there is pressure. Yeah. Takumi doesn't, it for definitely doesn't show any pressure. I think that the communities that we were, I mean, we couldn't, we're not like a huge multinational nonprofit. Right. Yeah. Some of these like other ones have traditionally pressured communities into their ideas. But um, yeah, that's what I was kind of referring to is like the sort of outside economic pressures to kind of conform and adapt. Like, you know, going down to Iquitos and seeing kind of like the transformation over the, even just the last couple of years for me, I'm sure it's been more for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's been the real challenge with this program is creating a feasible framework, you know, and really, so what we do is we have, you know, the, our program coordinator, Alan runs the numbers and he does everything. And then we sit down with people who are interested in it because they work with us. They're parts of our, they're part of our local ecosystem and they're interested because they see the things that we do with our land and they're curious and we do workshops together, you know, so it's like, informational workshops you can and you don't it doesn't have to be a full commitment either you don't have to do all of your land you could just try a piece of it and see how you feel um but we do have charts that describe specifically you know 
this year you can expect to make this much this year you can expect to make this much and so on so it can seem scary to begin but in reality actually throughout a 10-year framework it's going to be much more lucrative especially with that ayahuasca added in there um which is quite interesting because ayahuasca itself you know it's an extremely valuable crop today which is a which I think six months ago would have made me feel a little sick to the stomach to say, you know, because it's hard to talk about these like sacred plants, like cash crops. Um, but that's also, I realize a bit of my Western romanticization about it, because when I talk to Shipibo people or forest people, they're okay with planting it. You know, it's more destroying the vines with memory and with cultural meaning. So they like the family vine, the grandfather vine, like that's when it becomes an issue, but the vine itself, you just have to be respectful when you harvest it. So, mm. um, yeah. And I mean, the major thing with that, you know, like if you have, let's say, rather than planting, um, cacao for coffee or for for sorry for chocolate like generally communities need um market access in order to make that lucrative so within you know you go to iquitos you're not going to sell cacao for that much because you would need to be connected to a coffee a chocolate producer right but with ayahuasca you could just take sacks of ayahuasca to iquitos market and sell it right away and it works just fine so Mm -hmm. that's what we're working with it's actually very practical practical for communities to do that so then they can sell ayahuasca yeah like Mm -hmm. bottle it up sell it in Berlin. Well, it depends. I mean, I don't think it's we. I don't think we've. Belen Market is the market. Yeah, yeah. Belen is like yeah. the big, the big crazy market that sells armadillo and and fruits of all sorts. Um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, in terms of the actual preparation and stuff, that's very much up to communities, and they'll decide what they want to do with that. You know, it's a very hands-off approach. It's not like we're saying we're holding people's hands going through the whole thing but it's more that we'll offer them technical support and logistical support but it's their life they do what they want and ultimately they know the the ins and out of local economy better than you know most people at Chaikuni do so yeah and the rain the main mission again is it's twofold I mean the ayahuasca is a dimension of it but really what we see with this chakra integral program is something pretty amazing um we see a marrying of traditional ecological knowledge and more contemporary permaculture and design like techniques. So we, we did a permaculture design course last March, which is a 10-day course. It was super intense, and it was led by this amazing gentleman, Tierra Martinez. He's an Argentinian permaculture wizard. Um, and we had community, we had representatives from, I think, five different indigenous communities come and then local people from around the, uh, the Rio Nanay, the Nanay River. Um, so it was a very multicultural Amazonian team, a couple of crazy gringos. Um, and what we did basically is we just had a land management jam. And some of these indigenous, you know, youth actually went up to like the chalkboard and would and drew diagrams of how they remembered their grandparents managing land. And had it not been for that opportunity, I fear that it would have disappeared when they go, you know, like that, that they were the lifeline for that knowledge and that wisdom. So it's actually like the acceleration of the global marketplace and the increased pressure to make more money and send kids to school and all of these things. They are, 
I sense um, inevitable forces. Mm. And at this point, it's really about infusing beauty and cultural memory into them. And that's where I think the real um, interesting things begin to happen, you know, where right. communities can make a good living for themselves because they need to, you know. And yeah, they have to. Yeah. Practical, right. So right. how do you do that in a way that's also bringing to light the uniqueness and actually the efficacy of their their traditional practices and keep their ancestors' memories alive. And that's yeah. really like that that rocks that floats my boat. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. And it like I was just thinking of like this idea of like, you know, Western people who go there and, and things like that. And it's just like, no, I, I don't want them to change. Like I don't want them to adapt. I, I want I just want them to be there and be this imaginary fantasy, you know, thing like we were talking about before. Um, but that's not the case. You know, these, they, it's, you have to be practical about this and you have to, uh, like, they want, they want this, you know, they want to have, be secure and safe and comfort and, and other things, you know? Um, <clears throat> yeah. And so is this part of the global spread then like this kind of integration this fusing of this this model with as you were saying like permaculture and you know kind of ancient uh modalities like kind of fusing together to produce something that's sort of well integrated into the framework in which the world the global ecosystem like exists while still making it fruitful and and satisfying and reciprocal for for everyone involved no, I guess that's the hope, right? <laughs> that's the hope. When you put it that way, yeah, I think so. I mean, it is. You know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of this concept of cross pollination or like ecological edges, and just knowing that whenever you have different worldviews or ecosystems or species meeting, there's going to be confrontation and awkwardness and newness, but there's also going to be creation and creativity. And the create and the and sometimes even new species in those places where like the the edges meet, you know. So so I I mean yeah I I hope that that would be the most fruitful iteration of the global spread of ayahuasca for sure yeah and ultimately I think of it like I wish I wrote about it more in the book like um it's almost maybe a Paulin esque approach you know from his Botany of Desire discussing mm -hmm. yeah yeah. The, the impact um, caffeine and sugar and tobacco and all of these different psychoactive plants have had in our civilization. You know, they've shaped us and they shape us to this day. We have coffee, we have sugar, we have trade routes that are specifically managed and established for the trade of those things. Yeah. Cities developed for the pure purpose of being on those yeah, routes. Ken, yeah. Ken Tupper, he's a, he's a, um, what is he? he's a, he's a, he's a researcher that's written quite a bit about ayahuasca and public policy. Um, and he, he's written some amazing papers and one of which talks about actually the origins of finance starting in coffee houses in English coffee houses, you know, and it's almost interesting that there is this energy about coffee, this sort of caffeinated enthusiasm that would create these sort of schemes to, you know, debt money and create these systems. So with that, you know, looking at ayahuasca as one plant or plants in a succession of many different plants that have shaped our outlook and approach to life can ayahuasca have a different framework and can it be teaching us something through its properties or what people would call its personalities? Can it be teaching us something different? And that's what I'm looking out for. That's what I'm kind of interested in seeing uh, unravel in the, in the coming 
years, hundreds of years. I don't know. <laughs> You'll be around, right, to to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not right right here, but uh, <laughs> so yeah. Where do you fall in your um, compass of cosmology, mythology, interpretation of what? is happening. So, so Sophia, what, what is reality? <laughs> no, uh, in terms of, in terms of ayahuasca, actually, uh, specifically, like, you know, I think that there's many different interpretations, obviously, and you discussed this in the book too, but, um, yeah, I'm interested in hearing maybe like kind of where you're, where you're at with that. So like what, if, if there is a narrative about ayahuasca, what is it? Is that kind of the... I suppose. Not the narrative. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I would say, so I'll, I'll just, I'll share my perspective, I guess. Right. Like I, it's, uh, extremely cognitively challenging to swim in uh, agnostic ambiguity, but that's sort of where I, where I lay, I kind of, uh, you know, I'm always dancing on the fringes of paradox and psychosis. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I don't know. I feel it's necessary because I feel that there's there's every moment is new, every ceremony is new, every exchange and interaction is new. So there's just this uh, like I'm trying to uh, not necessarily throw an anchor down in any one area. I feel that that could be a trap in thinking and motivations and actions and egos and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess where I want to frame the question is in terms of kind of like our Western scene and that sort of thing. And then kind of your experience and what your, um, insights are. Yeah, I totally, I totally, I mean, I too swim in those waters of agnosticism. And I think especially since writing the book, I was I was even more in that because I had you have to to tell that story you have to hold many perspectives at the same time and not give one story too much weight. So that's actually been a part of my practice in a way. It's almost like almost that is my like spiritual practice is the agnosticism around it is not getting too attached to one story. Yeah. See, I always get people always like cuz no one likes like the paradox guy. Like the it's like, well, maybe it's like this or maybe it's like that. I don't really know. They're like, "Give me an answer," yeah, you know. No, but you're like, but I'm inter- I'm interested in that. Do I? Like, that's it. The answer is the mystery, you know. Ooh. There yeah, you go. It yeah. is. And that's and the, and you just have to sit with that and learn how to be okay with that and it doesn't have a form and it doesn't have a shape. It doesn't have a it doesn't smell like anything. It just is what it is. Um, and that's very hard for humans who are these little meaning making machines, you know, who are constantly attempting to derive the sense of like understanding from everything. But oh my god, yeah, yeah, we're we're we're, we're unstoppable. <laughs> we're a linguistic, symbolic factory farm assembly line, just like press it out, send our it to the ad. Gift in our demise, <laughs> the language thing, yeah, for sure. But, you know, having said that, I will say that there are parts of me that do have a bit of, um, yeah, I guess if I, if I were to be in a world of magical realism, and I think the world is magically real, you know, (laughs) like, I think that I know, actually, that there is so much beyond our comprehension, especially when it comes to plants, um, and what and the way that plants you know, seduce us and speak with us. And what I mean by speaking is through their 
chemical symbol through their, you know, just through their ways of communicating through chemical and through shape and through seduction and smell. Right. Um, I, there's so much we just don't know. So with that, maybe ayahuasca is some sort of a super powered plant that is sending like a chemical SOS out of the rainforest and asking us all to, you know, live more simple lifestyle and have babies, which is what ayahuasca seems to do for many people, <laughs> you know, take your money out of dirty investments, have many children, be happy and um, sing songs. Again, that's a romanticized perspective. That sounds pretty I good. I like it. I'll keep it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? If we can choose what we want to believe and if we believe in a beautiful world like that, then why totally. not? Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like I think in in my short little life, it's like no matter what, we're going to be making stories. And as long as you realize that it is a story and it serves you and it helps you and it's a symbolic chart that helps you navigate this world in a way you feel is good, then, you know, fuck it. Same thing with like tarot, actually, and these tarot and divination techniques. You know, some yes. people will hold a card of deck of tarot cards and they'll be like, I'm entering into the portal of the universe. And it's like, when I pull this card, that is my fate. And I'm very much of the belief that, you know, and that's my belief is that it's there's symbols that are going to help you and you'll read what you want from them, but that doesn't make them any less powerful. You know, if anything, it makes right. them more powerful. It's all about the power mm -hmm. that we assign to it. So, and I think it's the same with any of these stories we tell about ourselves about the psychedelic renaissance coming and healing the world or whatever you want to call it. Like, it is what it is, but you better make it a cool story if you're going to make a story out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. You better make it a cool story. Make it a beautiful story. Make it a cool story. Make exactly. it one with love and, and fun and laughing and joy and compassion and bliss and ecstasy and awe and reverence and all that basking yeah, in the mystery. On, yeah. <laughs> I mean that, yeah, that's, that's, I feel the same way. And, and I think that, it's funny because I remember being down at the temple and someone, you know, the, the kind of, it's always funny to watch. Now, have you, you are with Chaikuni, but you also go to. I'm both. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm so I was, I was watching guests come and go and do the whole thing one after the next, one after the next. And it's always funny. It's always similar. They always come in and, you know, they're serious and they have all their ideas and all their identities and, you know, and, and little skepticisms here and there by ceremony two certainly by three it's just yeah. we're li we're we're living how human beings naturally want to be living it's like a lot of the stuff goes away a lot of the you know and and uh the the seriousness too i think you like i think when you got back from peru like your post was like something like life is a serious joke and i just was like mm -hmm. yes I, lo I love this a hundred percent um i i totally feel that way because like you know, like people will, will kind of put all these things onto the healers and onto the medicine and onto the work itself. But if you listen, if you pay attention, they're laughing all the time. They're laughing all the time. I mean, this is not, uh, it's pretty crazy to be able to walk through life, just like clinging onto everything with such seriousness, you know? Anyway, yeah, we're very good at it. Yeah, so so what what led you to that like insight? Did you have that before? Were you always that way? Did you seem to be kind of stuck in seriousness, and then you had an, a realization, epiphany, something that blew your mind, and you're like, oh, I get it. That's 
that seems to be the way it happens, right? They just keep bonking on top of your head and then you forget (laughs) it on them. (laughs) You just sit under the same coconut tree, you know? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think all of those things. Like I first heard life is a serious joke from an elder actually in, in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And I, and I, it, and every time I hear it, I get it a little bit more, you know, like I hear it and it's, uh, you know what I'm talking about? There are those little things and you just kind of get totally unlock them the deeper oh, yeah. that you understand it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we're doing this intense hard work, which is physically just brutal. You're going through your memories, blah, blah, blah. but I think you just like the medicine, like, you know, you're, you're cooking and you're stewing and you're sitting in your tears and you're bar for whatever and it's like the only thing that will airlift you out of that catastrophe is laughter yeah you know and that's like it literally is like a lightness that just sweeps through your body and and alleviates you and washes away all of that work that hard work that you did you know and if you can't laugh after then you haven't you know you still have work to do and it's not to I mean I've like you, you know, I'm sure we've been put through the washing machines, pretty serious cycles with. Oh yeah. The spiritual laundromat. Yeah. Yeah. It's like really rough there. And you know, I expect I'll go back there more than once, (laughs) but you just gotta, you just gotta giggle at it. You just gotta giggle at it. So yeah. I mean, and I think with, I think that's what I learned really from the people that I work with, you know, like the people healers there, like you were saying, it's just like, that laughter and energy is just infectious. And and the the Ashanika in Brazil, they'll also say like so alegria when they're when they're done talking about sad things. You know, they'll say our leader was killed or our trees were cut down, but they finish those sentences with statements of like to happiness, to happiness, you know, because that's the point. Like mm-hmm. happy, if there is any point in all of this, to me, it's just happiness and it's a yeah. good quality of life. And as long as we're thinking about anything else on that spectrum, like finding the right job or the right this, da, 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 it's like the end point of that is that happiness. So that's a prayer that I'm learning to carry with me. And I found that it's been really positive in my life, actually, just like it's infectious. It really it is. is. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. I love it. I love being happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. You know? Yeah. And it, it, it really, it really does change things too. You know, when you're, when you are, when you're showing up in that way, totally. there's a lot, there's such a lightness and an, an invitation to play as well, you know, to come out of your shell a little bit. It's okay. Totally. We're not going to bite. You yeah. can be happy, you yeah. know? Yeah. So the, um, in anarchist philosophy, there's a there's a guy named Simon Springer. I heard, he's written some. He's an amazing academic, but I think he was. I was reading some stuff he wrote about prefigurative politic. So it's mm. basically this idea that you, rather than talking about you know a political goal out there or in a ten year plan or whatever, you're doing it in that very moment. You are that because the only way that you will be that is by being it. Oh, I love that. You yeah, know what I'm saying, and so that's what you want to look for in political leaders. That what you're going to look for in friends and bosses and whatever people who aren't always going somewhere but they they just are that because that's where they will need to be right and so oh yeah dealt with like i mean just in my own brief time and well it was like 10 years now like working in nonprofit space like there's so much heaviness there's blame there's anger there's shame there's tons of it you know there's plenty to go around the moon like over and over again 
Um, but I've found that the movements that are celebrating life and are affirming beauty and are cre and are living and embodying that interculturality and you know relationship to land or whatever it is, those are the ones that I'm attracted to, and those are the ones that people are attracted to. You know, you don't want to get on the sad wagon; you want to get on the party wagon and it's yeah. not to say that there isn't super important work out there where there's no room for laughter of course you know but in the places where there are laughter there is room for it you just got to bring it like that's how you're going to get people on your team i think i hope you know make- no you're right i i agree yeah and and you know one of my favorite quotes to say is from one of my favorite teachers who passed away yesterday ramdas mm-hmm. and he says um he says, you can either do it like it's a great weight or you could do it like it's all part of the dance. Oh, and gosh, it's just, so good. yeah, it's just like, I love, I love the idea of life as an eternal dance of infinite creation and endless explorations of joy. Mm-hmm. It just it feels that that's what feels right for me. I love that. I will. I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Life is a dance. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I acknowledge I'm at like a very happy moment in my life, but I, I sense it, you know, it's just like the medicine is, a, it's, it's, yeah. I don't know. Have you, have you had periods of your life that have been really dark and unhappy? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that Did that's that leads you to I the medicine. Yeah, actually. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, earlier, like the, my, my adolescence was really dark you know, and it's, I had all of the things built out for me, but I was just, I was, I mean, I was very depressed. I was on medication. I hated myself. I was like the perfect, I was like the teenager, you know, you ever seen the movie 13? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. Basically the the whole point is that they're just these teenagers who are like hell bent on being as bad as right. Yeah. Yeah. Taking all the drugs, kissing all the boys, you know, and that was like, that was me, you know, because I just was really, really convinced that this was not it. This wasn't life. And I didn't, and I saw I was getting older and older in it. And I was super panicked and freaked out like a bird in a cage, right. you know, and, um, and just to see now, and honestly, to be so grateful too, for the context that we live in, like how lucky we are to be talking on a podcast about psychedelics and consciousness and just where we are as a civilization, there is a lot of darkness, but we have, we are very free, you know, and we're more free than many civilizations have been in the past and never to take that for granted, you know, and just to like fucking rock it out. For (laughs) sure. Yeah. Yeah. We could always go for more freedom. I'm down with that, but yeah. A little bit more. What is, what's your favorite thing to talk about, Sophia? Probably stuff we're talking about now, I guess. Yeah, probably plants. You know, all, all things plants I like. I think I love listening to people who are really into whatever it is that they're into, actually. So if somebody studies, like, how to synthesize rubber out of whatever, like, if they're super into it, I can have a conversation with them forever. It's more like their passion that really interests me, or they could be like the Lords of high finance, or I think almost everything with the exception of like animal torture, I would be extremely interested in learning about, but for me, it's not. Yeah. And recently sciences, people who are scientists and just getting actually working with Shane, Shane Moss and going on, on tour with him. He has this show stand up science um and so just sitting in the car with him and like 
hearing him explaining all the things that he's learned from these scientists is like wow it's just such a fun way to jive with the world yeah it's great you to know? have a podcast because then you can have an excuse to it to learn all these things yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i was yeah i'm always like in awe of podcasters because you're just like okay like this is my jam i'm just gonna interview with people i want to do the thing and just deepen my own knowledge i guess that's why yeah you totally it. um yeah i just love i, lo I love learning so I'm always curious about yeah. about different things, and I like you know just having good conversations. That that seems to be something that really stimulates me as well. But uh, but yeah, I guess I was like referring to like with, yeah within this scope of you know plant medicine. But you 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 kind of you you answered it. You're into like mastery, like you like people that are like mastering things. And I guess yeah. you put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like love and affection for like the the perceptions the the worlds that we don't see you know yeah we shane and i recently interviewed people at the fort worth zoo in, in in texas and so we got to hang out with these people who are like the top of their line at you know animal nutrition or you know doing acupuncture on snakes or something and it's like i mean never in my day-to-day -day life would I really talk about it but just being in that and I'm like wow that's your world like rock on you know like yeah. you're just living it and like loving it and you do you you know like anything that's not too homogenous like but really gets into the the nitty-gritty and like the the innovative edge of life that's what that's what really yeah I, I like I like that a lot too I I, I feel like uh, it's so it's just so fascinating to me that there's so many worlds there's so many worlds. There's so many eyes peering through these meat bags that are involved in, you know, these intricate things that would never come into my like reality tunnel, my perception. And, and then when I find out about it, I'm always blown away. And I'm like, wow, I want to like take a vacation in your mind to just live like your world for a little bit. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Not for too long. <laughs> a couple hours. Well, yeah. <laughs> And that's, again, like where psychedelics come in too. It's like for that little moment, you're like, oh, that's this world or that's that world. You know, Daniel wrote it best. And I think it was in Breaking Open the Head, he made this analogy to, um, you know, tuning into psychedelics like a radio station, you know, like you mm -hmm. take these different substances and they're like these different energetic frequencies that you get on and you're like, this is jazz. This is oh, like- Oh, damn. Is that where I've been getting it from? I've been saying that for like the last like three years. It, it, <laughs> I, just, yeah. I haven't been crediting him. I'm sorry, Daniel. No, I mean, I don't, he, you know, who knows where he got it from, but that that to me is one of the, my favorite things. It's like just turning the dial on that radio station and tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I love it. What are you, um, what are you up to now? Like what you're doing a lot. You're, so you're doing head talks with Shane. Yep. You're doing uh, stuff for the book. I'm sure Go, going around giving talks and yep. stuff. And, and those two can happen together, which is great, mm -hmm. which is a, a nice really synergy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what are you doing with the, talk to me a little bit about the head talks. How's that working? Like oh Shane's doing stand up, and, and you're kind of, uh, talking about plants. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, so cool. I guess it's, 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 um, let's see. So head talks is Shane's new show, which is combining psychedelic science and comedy stand up. So Shane has been now like a stand up comedian communicating science for many years. And he's also been communicating about psychedelics 
Um, so his vision was really to create a science show about psychedelics. So not so much about just, you know, tripping, but actually the research and the culture and the innovation that comes out of psychedelic research. Um, and so it just happened to be at this super fortuitous moment where I was just publishing the book and, you know, I could have done a book tour, but there's nothing cooler than getting up on stage in the middle of wherever and just talking for, yeah, Shane does this set for like 20 minutes and then I go on and I give a, I give a short lecture about, well, no, like a, just pretty solid lecture about, uh, the global spread of ayahuasca. And it's basically aimed towards a lay audience. So somebody who's never heard of ayahuasca can learn something. Uh, somebody who's an ayahuasca expert can also learn something. Um, and I really, at the end, kind of bring up what I was mentioning earlier about these different plants, looking at them historically, and then saying, you know, there's nothing new about humans jibing with plants if you look at it from a cultural perspective. So that's the goal to destigmatize, right? Oh, cool. And then ultimately being like, yeah, here are some environmental initiatives you can get involved with. Here are some questions you can ask. And yeah, it's just like chock full of education. And then we have a Q&A at some point. And those have been the bomb. Like people are so engaged. They're asking such good questions. And I have to, I have to be honest, like we were in audiences that I've, I've never been to Wichita, Kansas. I've never been to Oklahoma city. I'd never been to Lincoln, Nebraska. Like we hit up a bunch of these different places and they don't necessarily have a huge psychedelic community. O Oklahoma city does have like a psychedelic society, but it was really cool to be like, to see all of the freaks, you know, and the scientists. Yeah. They were just hiding in their basements, smoking DMT, waiting for you guys yeah. to come around. You know, they're all, they're all out there. It's, it's decentralized. Everybody's it's, I, out there. Yeah. Everybody's out there. Everybody knows there's, there's little pockets everywhere you go. Yeah. And that's and really cool. And then you find the others. And then the thing is what we, we leave actually. And, um, you know, Shane's been organizing Facebook groups for people. So you can actually, if you don't have a psychedelic society in your neighborhood, you can start one. And so the goal is not that you come and watch this freaky weird show once, but actually we leave, you know, you can actually create a community and a culture from it once we go. So that's been feeling really, really good. So we're hitting the road again and I'm going to be joining him actually next week for a couple shows. Then we're in February, a bunch of them. And then, in, I mean, all year we're going to do a lot. So, yeah. That's really cool. What are some of the, like, have you noticed like a common theme or like common questions that people have asked? Like how, how are they receiving you and what you're saying? And, yeah. you know, what? So surprisingly, because I thought it was maybe like a niche subject. And I guess it's probably because of the way that I say it. A lot of people ask questions specifically about ayahuasca, like, um, uh, what about the future of ayahuasca? They ask about if, you know, what about the, what do, what are communities going to do if there's no more ayahuasca or, um, yeah, more like concerned about the, the actual cult, the lived reality for indigenous communities. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Which was surprising to me because I myself wasn't asking those questions until years after I was, you know, messing around drinking ayahuasca in lofts in New York. Right. Like, I mean, not to say that it's, it is what it is, but I, I wasn't tuned into the reality of people in, from ayahuasca world. Right. Um, so I found that, yeah, people are asking, how can I get involved? What can I do to support the Amazon? Um, and what, and then also, you know, I haven't tried ayahuasca, but some people say, where, where can I take ayahuasca? I don't have answers for that. Um, but yeah, what, what can I be prepared for? Um, and then people ask sometimes, like, how can I let go? 
you know, I'm very afraid, but how can I let go? I like afraid to, to drink ayahuasca or just afraid, afraid in general? This is afraid to, okay, whatever, right. you know, cause I think it can come off. I mean, and this is something that, you know, for me was a bit of a question mark when I was doing this tour to begin was, are we, are we evangelizing substances? Are we, are we going to be making it seem like everybody needs to get high and do these things? And I don't think that at all, like, I really don't. I just think that all I used to lead to Rome. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, any, any good psychonaut has had their messianic. Oh my God. I went through a whole year of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I still get, I still get that way sometimes. Like if I, if I find myself in despair and I look at the world and I'm just like, damn, like I'm really, I'm trying, we're trying, we're, we're making, but that, I guess that's part of that forgetting and remembering and learning to laugh and, you know, taking it all. It's, it's a continual process, right? And this is, I think a theme that I've been like, I've brought up on a couple shows that I've been doing recently is this like notion of like traveling from one one destination to another in terms of uh, our healing or where we're sitting with our healing, mm. you know. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm kind of like I'm like a commuter, you know. Mm. I'm 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 healed and then I'm healing. I'm healed and then I'm healing. And it's like a shuttle bus, or does it take some detours along the way? <laughs> it takes some detours. Yeah, it takes some detours into like crazy town and then like blissed out town. Right, right. And yeah, um, uh, yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, do you think that there's there's like a final destination where everyone's going to be healed or you're going to be healed like, and there's no? I hope not. I hope not because I think that. Um life wouldn't be interesting. It wouldn't be the funny, weird puzzle that it is if everything was solved, you know? So I mean, that's not to say I want people to suffer, <laughs> but like, no, I mean, <clears throat> suffering is contraction and darkness and it's contrast, but I just don't know if light would exist without it. Right. right. Like, so <clears throat> I think if anything, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be that we are all healed, but that we are better at healing. Yeah. Life hurts and life is suffering, as some wise people once said, you know. So, like, it's um, what you do see is, you know, there is suffering in all communities, but it's really those communities that don't have the spiritual technologies and the and the wisdom really to cope with it and to transmute it and to diffuse it. Those are the ones that suffer more. Like out. Okay, cool. Yeah, this is kind of cycling back to where we were starting, where you were asking me what I think is the problem with like the culture and everything. And I think that, yeah, so th 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 that's part of my hope for the psychedelic renaissance or the global spread of ayahuasca or these things is getting people access to connection with something sacred, something transcendental, mystical. Yeah, yeah, like maybe we can maybe we can invite people to remember a little bit more beauty and decrease a little bit of suffering. Yeah, exactly. And even that like and having those that be rooted in very practical action, you know, basic things like prioritizing community and yeah. communication and isolation when needed and fasting and contemplation and these basic things that these communities that we work with know are tried and true and work for diffusing pain and growing. And they're things that we don't value. At least I'm speaking for we, you know, but like Westerners, we're not really good at. Right. We, we like comfort, uh, unhealthy amounts of, of comfort to a certain extent, but yeah. 
you know, the, the, the best magic sometimes grows out of shit. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> or even, yeah. And it's not even in Amazonian communities. It's like in Jewish communities too. You know, there's this, I mean, I'm, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but there are in, you know, if you're sitting Shiva, or if you're like in, if you're observing death, they're in the morning rituals, there are, you can lean down on a bench or you can be closer to the ground just because that's, it just feels better when you're mourning to be closer to the earth. You're crouching down mm. versus standing up. Like you don't want to stand and cry. If you're really broken inside, you want to create a space to sit down and, and cry. Mm. And so they've like built that into the leap into the morning framework are also tearing cloths. There's this there's this ritual also of tearing a sheet or a piece of cloth as you're grieving because there's something about that gesture that like emulates or releases grief and pain, you know? And so, I mean, there are millions of like tips and tricks like this that we have. Life hacks, we, how to grieve. Hacks, how to grieve how to, in 10 seconds or less for your dead mom. Long. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> But really, you know, like what I, the heck? I think you just like, hit the oh, nail right on the head. Yeah, what's that? Like stuff like that. Ritual, you know? ceremony, like totally. the, yeah. this is an extra, yeah. symbolic, you know, actions and motifs and believing in a colorful and animated mythology and cosmology for for our times for for now. It's I think yeah. that's something that we're deeply lacking, right? And. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that you brought up the close to the ground thing. I've been reading a lot of uh, this author, Charles Eisenstein's work. And one of the um, things that he was talking about is we're always looking for high vibrations and higher, getting higher. He's like, well, what about the, what about lower? Like, does a rock not have as much sacredness as a star? Like, does the earth, you know? So it's like, yeah, getting back to this, this grounded kind of earthly energy we always want to be up there and above it all right and yeah yeah so wise Charles yeah and yeah I was also just thinking too like in terms of our I mean at least speaking for myself and and some others like our great grief right now which is the earth you know which is what's happening to the earth right now with extraction and pollution at the scale that we see it at it is looking at the rocks and looking at the canyons and the rivers and these low places that have been forgotten and, and tarnished and to have the right, like, like Eisenstein saying, you know, like the sight to see that these places are just as sacred as the stars and the heavens and, and to have that much respect for them, like, and then to have rituals and prayer to actually relate to those places. That's like, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Do you think that more people like I, you know, since, since uh, Christianity has kind of declined in the, in the West, at least in America, like we're not really a Christian nation anymore. And uh, what are we? I don't know. I mean, Joseph Campbell says that the world is a wasteland because we have no unifying mythology anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But do you think that maybe we're kind of like maybe enough of us kind of getting together and, and doing these practices and in our, in our ways and, and having experiences that lead us to, I think the power of experience leads us to really internalize and embody the sense of, of feeling that makes us choose to believe or not believe in that mm -hmm. feeling so that we could take a step in a direction to take more action into a world that manifests that feeling, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's like, 
maybe we're moving more into an animistic world or a more a world that we could paint more with life. Mm-hmm. Um, are you hopeful for that? Do you think that that's, or, yeah. or, yeah. I, so. I, yeah. I mean, in like, there's um the, the Pew forum on religious studies. It's like a large statistics bureau. Um, yeah. They, I think, I think they were the ones who coined this term SBNR, which means spiritual, but not religious. Oh yeah. I see that. So, oh yeah. That's on like Tinder and stuff too. <laughs> like, really cool? I think so. Yeah. Like they have, they have spiritual, but not religious is like everywhere. I see that as yeah. like an option everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and that's, and that, I mean, that, that, that describes me. It probably describes you. I guess it's this idea that we're moving beyond the frameworks or the dogma of religion or the constricting sort of um, institutions that in religion, you know, operates within, and now kind of picking the little pieces that we want and weaving a different world that makes sense for us. You know, I had a professor of religious studies, and she once said something, I think she said it like, religion is not checks mix, like you can't just take out the pieces that you like and leave the pieces that you want. And I kind of think it is a bit like check mix, actually. Like, you know, you can take the whole, you, you have the bag of everything, like everything, and you just take pieces that make sense for you, you know? Um, you yeah, know, and I do know what you mean. And then I, I hear, I'll hear people say like, yeah, it's all like human's fault. It's all our fault because it's our interpretation. And like, it's like, yeah, I, I, I see that. But I'm not one of these like anti-human people that are like, well, if the humans just got off the planet, then the planet would be good, you know, or like the right. whatever. Right. But yeah, it, it, it is uh, what we do with it and how we use it. Because I think all religion is trying to communicate the same message. Mm-hmm or a similar message. I mean, it's just like different flavors, different genres, different paths. Yeah. Different genres, paths. And then, I mean, I think something that I learned from my time studying in my undergrad, I didn't, I did a minor in religious studies. So we talked a lot about like, what does religion mean? And my understanding of it today is that it really is these, these faith, the faith as it exists within a framework. So Faith is what it is. Faith, connection to God, connection to community, connection to earth. It exists everywhere. It's innate in our, you know, in our experience as humans. And it's really just about the language and the and the movements and the gestures and the foods and the rituals and the different things that will bring you closest to that. You know, and people have developed different technologies and methods to get there but it's all at the end of the day it's all kind of the same right but i think it's that diversity and novelty that makes it so fun it is you know, right? i mean right like what's the the greatest thing about going to peru is that it's not new york yeah the, gra- the, the greatest thing about, thing going- about peru. <laughs> yeah the greatest thing about going to nepal is that it's nepal like it's yeah like I want, I don't want like global hegemony and like, you know, cultural vanilla blandism <laughs> to go across the board. Um, it seems like a lot of the powers that be sort of want that, but, uh, but yeah. 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 I mean, then we can get into finance and <laughs> like how, you know, a global financial system can homogenize. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, and that's the, that's the, interesting thing when it comes to like the global spread of ayahuasca and quote unquote ayahuasca tourism you know i have received pushback and i myself have felt it before where like 
the, you know, when we talk about intercultural education and these stuff, like there are power structures that exist where like a white person from a wealthy background or from a privileged country or whatever it's going to be is like, they're going to necessarily have a power dynamic in a community and eventually it will support the homogenization of that community or the mm. Western fetishization of that community. I don't think it's that simple, but it is interesting to bring up. And that's something that we work with, you know, is that, again, it's like the pollination is going to happen. The globalization is already happening. So how do we support communities in maintaining their own cultural integrity without like vanillaizing it, as you said? And that's where things get very interesting, but that's imperceptible. And I don't think that that's something that can be consciously manipulated either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like, I love where you talk about neo-shamanism and, and in, in the book and, um, and that sort of thing. And, and I was wondering like, yeah, one of the thoughts that I've had recently you know, we could talk about like appropriation and, and all that kind of stuff. But like one of the thoughts that I had recently was, and I guess it's getting back to this Campbellian kind of thing about creating our own myths for our time and for our people and for our place, you know, in this location. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of, you know, it's like, no, you have to, the sacred is, is there. It's, it's protected with the indigenous. They've been practicing it for thousands of years. They have a system, they have a way, don't deviate from that way what do you, what do you see like, I guess out there? And I know you talk about it a little bit in the book too, but just kind of what about people coming up with their own traditions and their own, their own singing and their own medicine songs, their own yeah. healing? Is that, is that possible to create in this time now? I think so. I think so. I think at the end of it, like the, in, I mean, again, I'm biased because I'm not, of or indigenous to these cultures. I think some communities would say this is the way to do it. But what I've noticed is really it's about aligning the intention to the vision. And if your intention is really aligned with your action, like really, really, you know, if the song that you're singing is super grounded in a pure motivation, then it is what it is. You could be speaking in any language, mm. I think, you know, but when you start doing ayahuasca karaoke, one-on-one best hits, like, you know, we all know the top songs. <laughs> I've been in a few ceremonies where I'm like, geez, you know, people are just listening to themselves singing and it's very clear. And that has disturbed healers that I've worked with. It disturbs me because you see that they're not in the medicine. They're just saying the words without actually being connected to what they're doing. And so that's, you know, and then from there, I think when you are, when you really begin to get that, and I myself, I'm just beginning to learn that, you know, when you start to diet and fast and really work mm. with, and for me, the Shipibo framework, that's like when the power really, really begins to, to align. Um, and yeah, I mean, for example, a conversation that I like to bring up and I would want to see more of is, you know, Changa. Mm hmm yeah, like ayahuasca analogs, kind of smokable ayahuasca, people call it, um, created by Julian Palmer in Australia. Um, there's this, you know, people say, well, you know, if, if we can just make ayahuasca by combining any MOI with DMT, why don't we just make our own and do our own thing, you know? And I think in theory, that's really cool, you know, but remember that ayahuasca isn't just ayahuasca. 
like ayahuasca is cultural memory. It is plants. It is song. It is intention. It is smell. It is this whole body, this ecosystem of ritual that's around it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what would need to be created really and evolved in order to have practices or analogs as uh, profound or that you can even reckon with at that level. And that's where I do think that there's much room for innovation. And I think it's in within us. And if people in the past could do it, then we, we could, we can too, for sure. But it's, I think that's the really interesting work. It's like innovation, observation, and, you know, practicing, practicing and see what feels right without appropriation, right? Without saying, I'm just going to sing this song and then apply it to this medicine, because maybe that medicine doesn't respond to that song. So maybe that's not the right fit, but you know that there's a song that goes there and it's going to be practiced. So maybe in hundreds of years, we'll see many, you know, different ayahuasca analogs with many different songs and sounds and rituals. And I, I think that would be really cool. Mm, yeah. See that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is. And like, I guess my whole point of asking that was because I'm just thinking of like, you know, a lot of us going there and learning that way. And, but, you know, there, I think there's something to be said about in developing something for our place and our time for our sort of predicament, you know, like you go down there and, and a lot of the times the healers, the facilitators would be like, they don't really know the context of what your problems are necessarily because they don't have the words for them. It doesn't necessarily translate depression, anxiety, these sorts of things. Sometimes at least that's, that's how it was communicated to me. And like, I've, I've seen, you know, that's just a different worldview, different perspective. They're operating in a different framework. So. Yeah. 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 Even though, I mean, with that, yes. And like, it was, how do I explain? Like my understanding this is just a guess, you know, my intuition is that healers, you know, they may not know, oh, I lost a gajillion whatever in stocks and I'm addicted to technology and I blow cocaine up my butt or whatever. (laughs) You You boof cocaine. (laughs) Yeah, I boof cocaine for a living, whatever, like, okay, all the terrible things. Um, But they still have universal energetic imprints on a body you know so when they're healing and when they're working on us they may not necessarily know like all of the details but at the end of the day it's just pattern and it's just vibration in the body and that's what they do know how to navigate so that's a simplified i'd say maybe that's almost a cop out what i'm saying but it no no i i get what you're saying yeah there's a different realm the energetic realm i i totally i mean and it's another thing that just it has to be witnessed and experienced i mean yeah. uh, you can intellectually understand it but until you've actually been in front of a powerful healer and felt some things yeah. you know uh <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing stuff yeah for sure what was your favorite part of writing the book my favorite part <sighs> so two parts the i think maybe my favorite chapter well there are a couple it was the psychopharmacology part of it was quite fun so like actually learning what's happening in the body 
when you drink ayahuasca, what's happening in the brain, what's happening in your area posterima, which is a part of your brainstem, which has gag receptors. So when DMT bonds onto serotonin transmitters, it, that's actually why you vomit. It's because a lot of action is happening there. Mm -hmm. So like little things like that, you know, which really like added insight to my own personal experience. So that was, it, you know, created depth. I also really liked the chapter that we did about religion, even though I don't know if it reads as the most interesting, it was still fun to be like, you know, hunt out people who come from these different religious backgrounds and then um, interview them about what was it like to encounter Ganesh in the visions or Allah in the visions or, you know, um, have, you know, the the Torah read to you. Like there were just these amazing, that was fun. And then I'd say it's not part of writing the book, but today I'm actually really loving uh, the life of the book outside of me. Like at first I was scared and uh, you know, this stuff. Um, but I found that it's been a really beautiful portal of access for me to have meaningful conversation and relationship with people. And I thought I'd be really sick of talking about ayahuasca, but you're not going to ever talk about ayahuasca without discussing consciousness and ecology and social inequity and, you know, the body and all of these different sorts of subjects. So it's like a portal into infinity. So that I'm just grateful that I have that like little book with me to be like, Hey, this is what I'm all about. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really, that's, that's awesome. People oftentimes ask me like, so Mike Delic, like what's the podcast about? And sometimes I'll give them like a yeah, snarky response, but pretty much everything that you just said, I mean, that's, it's all interconnected in the, I'm interested in the interbeing of reality. Yeah. It's like, like the, the interconnected web of all the things that. Right. Right. Yeah. That, to me, it's like, why are we here? What are we doing? And what can we do mm. better? Well, maybe I'll pose those questions to you. Why are we here, Sophia? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you this question right now, <laughs> I guess. Damn. I like this interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, why are we here? I mean, I guess I, I think I mentioned it earlier. My best guess is that it is a mystery. And, and that is the answer. The, the answer is the mystery. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's as concise as it's going to get for you. And then, you know, from a very animal perspective, I guess, just to be merry and make love and have fun and create song and beautiful memory and your footprints and, and be gardeners and leave, leave a more beautiful world, you know, before you. Yeah. What happens when we die? Mm, we become good compost, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> all right i love it <laughs> what does consciousness mean to you oh my gosh this is like worse than the sats oh i'm sorry um, i don't want to be worse than is, the sats so i love everything better than the sats i'm joking um uh what does consciousness mean to me or what is consciousness maybe i'll rephrase it as how does consciousness feel to you Hmm. So to quote David Chalmers, who's a, you know, Charmels, he's a I do, yeah. and I think he's working a lot in the eighties. Um, he, I'm still working today. Um, 
hey, was it Chalmers? Damn, I'm going to be a jerk if I mess that up. But um, <laughs> he spoke about qualia. And this qualia is kind of like the quality of things. So, for example, the the feeling of yellow mm. or the the smell of a cigarette or the redness of an apple or the shine of a diamond. Like these are all material things. And yet when we perceive them through this human constellation of sense, we have that qualia feeling. It's just like, I could never explain it in words. Actually, it just is, you know? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And that to me is something about consciousness. It's like, you can have a computer you could have an artificial intelligence that can have, you know, this is yellow, this is a shine, this is a this, this is a that. But then to have that like symphony of experience that comes with interacting with those things, like that's consciousness to me. That's that's being alive. That's that's the human experience anyway. Can you think of a particular symphony of experience right now that has been with you for a long time in your life that you can go back to and really indulge in and say, Oh yeah. What a fun question. So like something that goes back a while, like that left a deep Something that maybe that's left a good imprint on you that you can even remember from time to time and be grateful for. It's, yeah. it's the symphony of experience kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have, so I have a few, but they're kind of doing the same thing. So like in my life, I'll find myself on a hill, like hiking or alone or whatever I'm walking. And if I'm on a hill or on a mountain, I'll just sit and just look out. So for example, I'm remembering I was in India and I was sitting on a hill and it wasn't a very special hill, like, you know, whatever. But I just remember there was the sunset and I just remember at that moment feeling so radically present, like Mm. the wind was there, the little, the little ferns were rustling in the wind and I could just feel the food in my belly and everything was alive and present. And I know that that moment's going to exist for me forever. And it was just me being with everything. It was like that little glimpse into eternity, you know, and that for me was like, yep, this is consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. Like the, uh, the the cosmic janitor left like the curtain open for you and (laughs) And you were just like, hey, this is pretty cool. Peekaboo. Yeah, peekaboo for a second. And then yeah. he's like, PRB, got to lock lock that up again. Got to lock up now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. you have a forgetful janitor who leaves it open for you. Yeah, I've experienced uh, quite, quite a few, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for being here and doing this. Yeah. So close to the, thank you. I don't know, during the holiday time, oh, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. This is a little dose of existentialist philosophy right before i i mean i i I, i'm yeah eternally grateful for this especially today because i was just with my my family and extended family having like a lunch and people are talking about like taxes and insurance and i'm just like i gotta get i can't i gotta talk to what are you you gonna talk about today (laughs) (laughs) yeah i want to talk about (laughs) consciousness and cosmic janitors cosmic janitor kids yeah well yeah, it was really lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely like to do it again. If you're in Denver, let me know. If you're in Denver with Shane, like, let's get together sure. and do something. That would be really cool. Yeah. 
maybe you could show us the show us around town. There's like I haven't I'd love to I just want to hang out in Denver for a while. It seems like a great place to be. It's so great. I mean, I I'm I'm loving it. Yeah, it's just really great. And there's so much psychedelicness and coolness happening. Cool. Uh, yeah, and I'm gonna be doing I'm gonna be doing some more cool things too. I'm gonna be doing some live shows myself. Really? Uh, yeah, in 2020. So can you yeah. spill the beans or are you gonna? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, so I'm. Uh, I can spill the beans. It, it's basically what I'm working on is something called like mind uh, mind jams. Uh-huh. So I'm just getting getting like a group of people together to just riff for like a couple hours on everything. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Live state, live audience. Live audience. Yeah. yeah. Recorded podcast. Yeah. So it's so fun. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm, thanks. Yeah. I'll, I'll look out for it. Yeah. Look out for it. Check it out. Cool. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, before we leave, just to, I guess tell people, yeah, when plants dream, they can get that head talks like uh, anywhere they should like go or I mean, I'm sure everyone knows how to use Google. They can just Google your name and but anywhere you where you'd like to direct them, follow you, anything like that. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on tour right now with Shane Moss. We're doing head talks. You can just look up shanemoss.com. We have a bunch of dates and description of the show. Um, when plants dream, you can get it at any major bookseller, although I recommend supporting small bookshops and booksellers. Uh, and then, yeah, um, you can go on my website, sophiarockland.com. And then I write a monthly newsletter, uh, full of little bits and bobbles about podcasts I do and where I'm at, but also just like, it's like a love letter to plants. So you can sign up for that and stay tuned. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Sophia. And thank you all for listening till next time. Peace. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, go and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a five-star rating and a review if you feel like writing something. Uh, That would be great. It helps the show a lot. helps us bump us up in the uh, Apple algorithm, get the podcast exposed to more people. So if you like the show, go ahead and do that. If you want to go a step further, go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate, become a patron, be a part of the Mikeadelic Inner Sanctum WhatsApp chat group of people chatting and connecting all around the world. We're finding the others, bringing them together, creating community. One of my favorite things to offer. I also release bonus episodes. Sometimes I do episodes that are kind of raw and kind of beta test them for the producers of the show, which are my patrons, the people who support the show. Big shout out to everybody that's a patron. Thank you for your love and support. If you want to do a one-time donation, go to my website, mikebrank.com. Go to PayPal and do a one-time donation if you feel that. And uh, I really like the method of donation. It's a, it's a gifting mentality. And reading Charles Eisenstein's books recently and his talks have really kind of made me embrace the spirit of the gift of giving and gifting and what better time than this holiday season to be generous and to give and you know if you like the show just tell tell people about it spread it share it also contact me go to my email uh, on my website the contact page mikebrank.com reach me on instagram mikeadelic underscore podcast hit me up on facebook send me your messages send me your thoughts send me guest suggestions ideas share your story with me reach out give me feedback what do you like what don't you like and uh, I love to hear from people. I always respond. So uh, you can go ahead and do that. If you're interested in CBD, we have Hemp Bombs as a sponsor. You can go to hempbombs.com, get all kinds of CBD stuff. And um, I used to take their their gummies. I think I'm going to start taking them again. I ran out, so I got to get some more. But uh, they're really good. And um, yeah, check it out. If you're interested in CBD, you want to give it a try, put in the code MIKE15 at checkout and get 15% off all of your CBD 
wants, desires, needs, and so forth. Big shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the music, the intro and the outro. And uh, of course, thanks to Muse, who uh, I mash up their song and put the Terrence McKenna clips and everything in without their permission, but somehow I'm still able to do it. So thanks, because I love that. And uh, what else? I don't know. Thank you so much to everybody for your love and support for listening. And yeah, I really, uh, really, 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 from the bottom of my heart, really can't express how grateful I am that out of all the podcasts out there that you choose this one to listen to. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, let's really make this a collaborative effort. If there's something that you hear, that you notice, you know, something going on with the show that you're like, hey, you used to do this or you do that, or I'd like to see this, or hey, did you ever think about that? Shoot me a message. I'm open. I communicate. I message back. I like this to be a collaborative effort. I want more community involved in this. So anyway, thanks. And uh, till next time, peace.